So the reading uh, tonight is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 48. And that's on page 970 in the Church Bible. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to, only wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard it said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And yet, and if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Thank you. Well, let's uh, keep that part of God's word open, and uh, I'm going to pray for us now. Father, we do ask that you would help us now, you would help us to hear what the Lord Jesus is saying to us through this passage. Help us to see ways in which this impacts us, ways in which we need to put this into practice in the days ahead. And please would you help us to hear that and obey in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if somebody was going to hit you, uh, I won't do that, it's okay, uh, but if, so, if I was going to come down and hit you, I wonder what your first reaction would be. If somebody was going to hit me, I'm sure one of my first reactions would be to cry, probably. Um, but I wonder whether you're the sort of person whose first reaction is to hit back. Somebody does something to you immediately, oh, what was that about? Pushing, whether it's shouting back or actually hitting back. Uh, maybe, I suppose, hitting might be a bit of an extreme example. Perhaps if somebody whizzes past you in their car and almost hits you, what is your reaction to that person? Or when somebody says something to you that's really, really horrible and thoughtless, when somebody does something that you really don't like, what is your instinct? What's your first gut reaction? We tend to either lash out or quickly try to defend ourselves or perhaps we sort of defend ourselves and lash out long-term by sort of going off and licking our wounds in a corner and secretly plotting their downfall or something like that. So even if we say, oh, I'm not, a, I'm not a lashing out kind of person, I just lash out very, very slowly. What we don't tend to do when somebody wrongs us is love them. That might just be me. That's not my gut reaction instinct. But that is what Jesus calls us to do. Uh, this evening, we're looking at one of the most famous bits of the Sermon on the Mount about how we respond when we are wronged. What do we do when we are wrong? There's two chunks here. Uh, there's verse 38 to 42, which the NIV here calls eye for eye. And then verse 43 to 48, 
love for enemies. But both of those chunks are about how are we going to react when we are wronged? The first one is about what we're not supposed to do. And the second bit is positive, what we are supposed to do when we are wronged. And I suppose it's a challenge for us because, as I say, it may just be me, but this doesn't describe how I naturally want to react every time. Let's do the first bit uh, first. When we are wronged, do not retaliate. That's what Jesus says here. Don't retaliate. It's verses 38 to 42. As in the past few weeks, Jesus has been teaching us what real righteousness looks like in practice. And it's not the same as what they'd been taught by the Pharisees and the other religious leaders of the day. They would say, oh, this is what you're supposed to do. And Jesus time and again says, well, that's what you've heard. That's what they say. But let me tell you how it really is. Let me tell you what it's supposed to be like. And so verse 38, he says, this is what you've heard from that lot. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth tooth when it comes to having been wronged what should I do eye for eye tooth for tooth now that was about justice an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth is about the punishment fitting the crime so that's a, a biblical principle it's found in Exodus 21 it's found in a few other places and what it means is if somebody injures your eye their punishment should be their eye being injured not always necessarily literally, but the idea of the punishment being commensurate with the wrong that was done. So it was introduced to limit the reaction to a crime. If you don't have this sort of punishment fits the crime principle, it escalates, doesn't it? So you dink my car, I respond by smashing a brick through your window. You respond to that by beating me up. I respond by burning your house down, round and round. I, this isn't personal examples, but you understand what I mean. If you don't have something to stop that cycle, it will just escalate and escalate and escalate. Whereas an eye for an eye stops that. If you punch somebody and they go blind in one eye, you ought not to be killed for that. The Old Testament principle would be that you would lose an eye or that you steal their cow or their car or whatever, you would have to give them one of yours in return or money to pay for another one. It's a really good law. It's, it's justice, isn't it? It stops things getting worse and worse, and, and it limits retaliation. But the trouble was that people took it to mean, instead of kind of controlling revenge, limiting it, they took it to mean demanding it. So kind of, you knocked out my tooth, well, I'm coming at you with a dentist drill then. You owe me a tooth. Rather than going, well, no, if something needs to be done, it mustn't be worse than what they did to you, is what the law is supposed to be saying. And that was the Pharisees' teaching, saying, when we are wronged, we must put it right. We must make them suffer just as I have suffered. And that wasn't what the original law was there to do. But they've misapplied it as saying, no, this must be done. I demand my pound of flesh. And they're also getting it wrong by making it apply to everybody personally. So if you wrong me, I have to wrong you. Whereas the original law was a sort of national law. It was about helping a judge decide the appropriate punishment or fine. This isn't for individuals to go around, you know, 
gouging people's eyes out and knocking their teeth out. It wasn't about that. It, that would be like if we said, oh, there's laws in the UK that allow five years imprisonment for certain crimes, so that means I can go locking people up in my house. Like, no, this is a punishment for the judges to do, not for you to go out dishing out your own punishments to people. But again, that's not what the Pharisees would say. They would say, no, this is personal. You wrong me, I will come back at you like a ton of bricks. So Jesus could just say, they've misunderstood it. It's not about that. It's about the judge imposing the penalty. Jesus, as ever, goes deeper than that. He doesn't just go for the surface level. He takes it to our heart. He takes this law that was about limiting retaliation and says, here's a mad idea. Why don't we go even further and say, don't retaliate? Don't retaliate. So let's read from verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. When someone is wronging you, being a pain in the neck to you, our instinct is going to want to fight back, stand on our rights. You can't tell me. No. Jesus says, stop it. When we get slapped in the face, he's saying, resist that urge to just lash out and slap them back. Offer your other cheek. They started it. But we're not going to be the ones who throw the second punch. Uh, now, there are limits to this in the sense that I can remember um, hearing a few years ago a Christian MP being criticised for supporting the armed forces and the police. Like, you're a Christian. When the enemy attacks, aren't you supposed to just turn the other cheek? You know, the criminal's on the loose. Shouldn't you just forgive them? How can you go off you know, defending democracy in other, other countries? Aren't you just supposed to turn the other cheek and forgive your enemy? Now, that's obviously not what Jesus is talking about. If you see an old lady being mugged, you shouldn't be going, excuse me, love, turn the other cheek. It's not saying that. Call the police, knock the person to the ground. This is not about pacifism. It's not about law and order. If you are being abused, it is not wrong to seek help or to seek justice. Instead, this is talking about the urge we have to lash out in revenge. That's what it's getting at. Right and wrong, they're still important. Justice is still right. People ought not to get away with doing terrible things. But on a personal level, we need to fight that desire to always stand up for ourselves, stand up for our honour. How dare you say that about me? How dare you do that? I demand justice for myself. Jesus says sometimes, give up your rights. So he then gives a number of examples. Obviously, there's the famous one about somebody slapping you and you turn the other cheek. He gives other examples um, about if somebody wants to sue you and take your shirt. Now, that again, I, I, that's not something you see often in the papers, that somebody's suing somebody for their shirt. It's normally a lot more money than that. Uh, but in the Old Testament, you could uh, sue somebody for their shirt. You could get them to owe you their shirt. But there's very strict rules that say you can take their tunic or their shirt, but you can't take their cloak or their coat. Their, that would be the outer bit. And the idea was generally with those, people would only have one. 
and they would use it as a blanket at night. So if you come along and say, you owe me, I'm going to take your coat, your cloak, outer thing, you're causing that person to freeze to death at night. That's not okay. So you can't do that. You can't ask for that. You could sue them for their shirt, yes, but you can't make this person freeze to death or bankrupt or whatever by what you're asking for. Whereas Jesus says, if they come for that tunic, offer them your cloak. And that's an amazing thing, isn't it? He's saying, give them what they're not allowed to take. Going above and beyond justice in the opposite direction. As opposed to uh, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, that was to try and limit it to go, don't go beyond justice in terms of being too harsh. Jesus says, if you're going to err on one side of it, err on the side of being too generous. Give, give them what they're not allowed to take. Another example, um, Roman guards, they were allowed to grab a passerby and force them to carry something. They could just say, oi, you grab the other end of this, you grab the other end, go take it down the mile, the ro- mile down the road for us to the next base. Take it there and then, then you're free to go. And you had to do it. That would be really disruptive. Can you imagine that? You're just walking down the road trying to do what you're supposed to do and the police suddenly say, you carry that down the road a mile. And that would be especially annoying if it was the Romans asking you to do it because they were the occupying force. That would be really annoying. How do we respond when they ask you to go that mile? Do we fight the power? No, you be the kind of person who gets where they sent you to and you say, is there anything else I can help you with, officer? Do you mean... Is it actually for here or do you need to take it to the next station along? That's not what we want to do. We want to resist it. We want to resent every imposition on us. We want to grumble about every injustice. We want to try and wangle our way out of what is asked of us. But this is saying, go the extra mile. They were only allowed to ask you to go to the next mile marker thingy. Well, when you get there, say, you sure you don't want me to take it to the next one? I'm going back that way. Do you want me to carry anything back with me? You can bet you'd be the first person all day who responded like that. <laughs> they might notice, wonder what makes you different. We live in a culture, don't we, that's constantly offended, constantly demanding action to be taken. And yes, justice is very, very important. One day Jesus will right every wrong. But because we know he will do that in the end, in the meantime, we can drop it. We can just let some things just go. We have a a spirit of self-defense, don't we? And if we've been wronged in the past, in big ways, that can be very near the surface with us. We lash out so we can't get hurt again. But we need to know when to just drop it. Martin Luther King's wife Coretta Scott King said, the the old law of an eye for an eye leaves everyone blind. There's a sense in which if we every time demand justice for every wrong thing we do, we're all going to suffer in the end. Somebody needs to go first and just drop it. Be ready to be wronged. Be ready to be taken advantage of rather than retaliating. That's very challenging, I think. I think that's really challenging. And that's only the negative bit. That's when he just says what not to do. Don't retaliate. He then gives us the positive side of what we should do when we're wronged. And that is do good. When somebody does bad to us, do good. So from verse 43, you've heard that it was said, 
love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Again, how many of us is this our first reaction? When we are wronged, we just burst out in a fit of love. No, me neither. And this proves, I think, Jesus is is in these sections. He's not trying to correct the Old Testament. He's challenging the Pharisees because there's nowhere in the Bible we're told to love our neighbor and hate our enemy. That's not what it says. But that's how they'd interpret it. They'd seen love your neighbor. Then you go, ah, neighbor must be a certain group of people. Neighbor must be an Israelite like me or there's a certain type of person like me who's my neighbor. And the people like me, I meant to love those people, which is easy because I already love me. But then there's other people who are not my neighbor. They're my enemy. And it's my duty to hate them, to be opposed to them. And Jesus says, no, that is not what love your neighbor means at all. Whilst you are turning the other cheek, love the person who is slapping you. When they are saying awful things about you, He's saying, do them good. Sometimes we we can hear something like, love your enemies, and think, how am I supposed to just, oh, I'll just start feeling that, shall I? I can't command myself to feel something. But that's implying that love is always what we feel. It's it's an action. We're not necessarily even told to like everybody, (laughs) but to love them, which I think here means treat them as if we did like them (laughs) and want the best for them. When we are given nastiness, we return it with kindness. Now, I think this is really, really difficult. I could be nice to people I like and kid myself that that means I'm nice. And you think, well, I do not murder. I can just about manage that most days. Love your enemies, though. That is on another level. To not just not do bad things against them, but actively do good things, that just goes against everything in our nature, isn't it? That that is very hard when someone hurts us personally, to not just confront them in anger, to not just reply to the email really quickly, to not just avoid them forever, but to befriend them, to not even bring it up necessarily, to pray for them. Now that is a challenge, isn't it? How much do we pray for them? And and I don't think this is talking about praying down judgment on them. (laughs) It's praying that God would bless them. That God would do good to them. Materially, physically, and spiritually as well. That God would bring them to repentance. That he would forgive them. Now this is an enormously difficult thing. I don't know if anybody else here uses the Prayer Mate app. It's a a way of sort of listing uh, things you've wanting to pray for, and it comes up with different things each day. It's very good. I'll recommend it to you. Um, But on that, sometimes there might be people that we've put on there that we want to pray for, and their name comes up, and you feel that slight sick feeling in your stomach. Uh, And you know, I'm, I'm going to pray for this person. I'm going to pray for them that God would be good to them. They have been horrendous to me. And I pray that God is wonderful and gracious and kind to them. That takes supernatural power, doesn't it? That takes God changing our hearts. 
We cannot do this. We can't do any of this stuff that Jesus is talking about here on our own. It's only by God's Spirit working in us, changing us, that we can do this, making us more like Him. As Christians, we're adopted into His family. We become His children. And over time, we start to become more like our Father. I think that's what's happening in verse 45 here, where it talks about loving our enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He's not saying if you start behaving yourself, then maybe you can become his children. He's saying when we obey him like this, we're displaying the family likeness. When we love our enemies, people can look at us and say, oh, they're just like their dad. They're just like their heavenly father. Because that's what God does, isn't it? He loves his enemies. He loves his enemies every day. We've had a lovely day today, beautiful sunshine. We're out in the garden having lunch outside. You think, wow, it's October. This is amazing. It's lovely, lovely sunshine. Was it only sunny in the gardens of Christians? Did everybody get blue skies? Do evil farmers not have their crops get rained on? No, he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So when we do good to our enemies, that's just like God because he does that every day. Anybody can be nice to their friends. When somebody treats us right, we want to treat them right. That's, that's easy, but it's very hard to be kind to unkind people, to be generous to stingy people, to be loving to hateful people. That is very weird to do that because it is like God. Jesus is, as he is with all of these things in the Sermon on the Mount, he is the, the perfect example of this. When they hit him, did he hit them back? When they insulted him, did he lash out at them again? No. They are crucifying him and he is praying for those who persecute him. Father, forgive them. And in Jesus, we see God's love for his enemies, not just his common grace that he shows by giving us sunshine and rain and oxygen and all those things to everybody. He particularly shows his saving grace to us, his enemies. We were sinning. We were treating God abysmally, and he did not repay us like for like. He did us good by sending Jesus to die for us. We hated him, and he loved us. He loved us enough to rescue us. And that's why we also should love our enemies, why we don't retaliate, why we actively seek to do them good, because that is exactly how God has treated us. Let's pray uh, that we would actually do that. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for these words of Jesus, words that are so challenging to our natural impulses, we thank you so much that Jesus isn't telling us to do something that he wasn't willing to do himself. But despite being mistreated more than anyone ever has been, being treated less justly than we will ever be treated, he loved, he forgave, he prayed for those who were hurting him. And we pray that you would help us to do just the same. We know we cannot do that on our own. And so we pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit to help us live these lives that are so much more like you than like our old selves. 
And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.